0: Uh, Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we ask that as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us. Uh, Lord, in this this section that covers Jesus' last sort of public teaching, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, use this time to convict us, to lead us, and, Lord, to help us to know your heart And so we ask that you would be honored and glorified uh, through this time uh, that we gather here together today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So in Mark chapter 12, verse 38, in his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses, and for appearance' sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. And Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage of scripture that we have to work through today. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So as I mentioned in my prayer, this this portion of Mark chapter uh, 12, it's the last of Jesus' public teaching. Um, The rest of the teaching he will have with his disciples, and then we're going to get into the crucifixion story and his death, burial, and resurrection. Um. He's had a long day at the temple. He's been confronted by by multiple uh, multiple spiritual leaders. Um, and so now he's doing the teaching. Um, he's We're continuing from last week where we looked at uh, his dealing with their understanding of who the Messiah was, that he wasn't just a son of man, but he was also the son of God. And he's just continuing this um, into this teaching. And so here we are in verse 38. We read, in his teaching, he was saying, "Beware of the scribes." And so, this this ongoing conversation with the scribes. The the last question that he was presented was this scribe who came, who was a Pharisee, um, had asked Jesus about who the most, uh, what the most important uh, law in the whole Old Testament was. And Jesus answered him, and the guy responded that he'd got it correctly. and And in that dialogue, Jesus and him seemed like they were in agreement and that they there was a mutual sort of respect for one another but in verse 34 we see that jesus said to him you are not far from the kingdom of god and he immediately goes into asking a question about the son of god Um, and now he calls out the scribes was the scribe still there i don't know certainly the scribes were there uh the scribes are there, the Pharisees are there, all of the religious leaders are there trying uh, to condemn Jesus. And so he says about them, beware of the scribes. Now the scribes were sort of the lawyers. Luke refers to them as lawyers. They were masters of the, the law. They, they copied the text. They knew the text. They were sort of the experts when there was questions. And so He basically says, beware of them. He doesn't want his followers to mimic them, to be influenced by them. Uh, He's trying to actually teach them the exact opposite of how they lived and functioned. And so we'll see, as Jesus unpacks this, he explains why he's warning about these scribes. He says, who like to walk around in long, long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets, and so the warning is really against the the pride and the theological arrogance of of these men. Uh, he identifies their dress. These, uh, if you've seen any movies about the the gospels, you have seen these guys. You've, I think, of the Hasidic Jews with their um, you know long flowing robes with their. Uh, the tassels that come off as a prayer cloth—it's—it's it's this big display of uh, spirituality, sort of something that sets them apart and above others, saying that they are more spiritual and more important than you. Uh, I can't remember the—you know—the whole pandemic. The—the the time of everything is—is is a blur to me. It could have been last week, could have been this week, it could have been about three weeks ago. But Debbie Guzman shared something on my Facebook wall that cracked me up. So there's a picture of a guy in a sweatshirt. And on the sweatshirt, it said in bold print I'm a pastor. Don't look so surprised. And so she said that to she put that on my wall kind of as a joke and and I took it as a huge compliment you know it's it's a I wore my special shirt today my condiment shirt I didn't want to be all dressed up and, and uh, looking sort of uh, more important than everybody else although you guys are all in your pajamas so maybe I actually am uh, putting out a little more for God in this moment with my dress I know that come Sunday I will be sitting in my pajamas watching this but these guys Put on these these clothes, and it was to set themselves apart as they went places. They liked the big greetings. Um, it's still very much uncomfortable for me. Like I prefer people to call me Gunner. I understand that people want to be respectful, and so when I hear Pastor Gunner, I understand it. I'm fine with it. But it, there's just, it's just sort of there's a, an awkwardness at times because. I'm just Gunner, a guy who loves the Lord, happens to be in this place of, of this role as pastor. Um, I certainly don't need at the church a, a parking spot that's reserved for the pastor or anything like that. But, but these guys wanted all of the accolades, all of this respect, all of the things that sort of uh, made them feel important, these greetings in the marketplace The best seats in the synagogue where they could look at everybody and everybody could also look at them. Uh, They were filled with pride and arrogance, uh, trying to look the part, um, but they were spiritually dead on the inside. Um, Everything about these guys makes me cringe. Jesus has been teaching the exact opposite all through the gospel. His disciples want to know who are going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God and Jesus tells them you know you want to be great. Be like a child. Jesus is telling them over and over and over again. Back in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, uh, right leading to Jerusalem, Jesus says I didn't come uh, I didn't come uh, to be served but to be a servant of all. I think of Philippians 2.5, when Paul says that our, our attitude is to be like that of, of Christ, basically the creator of the world, uh, coming to earth to die on the cross. Um, the Christian life, those who follow Jesus, is to be marked with humility, not pride and arrogance. Um, these guys are doing exactly what Jesus taught against within these circles of, of people who are coming after him they all normally are at odds with each other fighting and arguing about their various uh, positions um, you know with me and and my background uh, been through seminary studied and uh, it seems like the more I study the the more I realize how little I know um, I've been educated in a couple different theological camps and I always sort of get my uh, tongue into like a sort of a, a pickle when I start talking with other pastor buddies, and they say, "Oh, what? They, people want to know what theological camp you're in. Are you this or are you that?" And I've I've just sort of I'm a theological mutt. I have appreciation for all different sides. Uh, my heart is the scripture, and sometimes the scripture it's not necessarily clear. I don't I don't need to prove my my uh, my. Uh, my point or my my position doesn't have to be absolutely right. I'm okay um, with there being tension in the things that I hold to. I want the scriptures to speak. And some of these issues we can't just you know reconcile in our brains. And and sometimes we like to file things in a way just for the sake of saying, okay, this is my camp. I'm this, and I'm going to defend this position regardless. Um, These guys were doing that, and they missed the very Messiah in their midst, and I don't want to be theologically arrogant and miss the very thing that God is doing in my midst. That doesn't mean that we can't have firm convictions and hold the truth uh, firmly and diligently, Um, but at the same time, we humbly come before God and each other, um, recognizing that God is in control and our brothers and sisters in Christ, that it's okay to have uh, a difference of opinion. And, and so humility is so critical in the Christian life. So as he describes these guys and, and what they go through and uh, uh, their dress and how they're ad- addressed and uh, where they're located for all of their position, he then goes into how they treat others. And he specifically goes into verse 40 where he says they, they devour widows' houses. Now, we take the scriptures literally. That doesn't mean we take them literalistically. These, these, these widows' houses aren't like a gingerbread house where they're eating and consuming the house. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is a, a picture that they are taking advantage of these women who are most vulnerable you know, years ago, my my view has shifted. I am a guy that likes rules. I'm a guy that likes to do the right thing. If I see something, somebody wronging somebody, I tend to put myself into the situation, even though I probably don't need to do that. Um, I learned today from Don that there's a thing, I think he said Karen. Did he say Karen? I'm kind of looking back. I don't know if he said Karen, but I guess that's a thing I never heard about, but it's, a, it's somebody who likes to enforce rules, and I guess I'm a Karen a little bit, so I I used a thing that drove me crazy for years. If I saw somebody parking in a handicapped spot and when I looked at them, if they didn't seem handicapped to me, that would drive me crazy. And I remember I shared about this during one Sunday sermon and Susan Johnson came up to me afterwards and was like, well, Pastor Gunner, you know. I have to drive my neighbor around, and there's times when I'm going to pick her up, and I I park in a handicapped spot, and I feel super guilty about it, but it's not for me. It's that I have to go get her from the doctor's office and bring her back. And I was like, ah, you make a good case. And and now that my dad has declined in health, and I have the handicap uh, placard in my car, I've now seen that sometimes I park in the handicapped spot uh, for this purpose of getting my dad. I'm like, oh, this looks really bad, but man, Susan was right. Um, the the issue though deep within me is when an individual is trying to take advantage of an elderly person and as I've uh, taken over care and helping with my dad just seeing so many of these telemarketers and commercials that are that are aimed at taking advantage of these elderly people um, confusing them trapping them into like hey just place this order, then they get in this loop where their credit card is charged over and over and over again and you can't get them to stop. It, it like, really bothers me. And I think there's a special place in hell reserved for these guys. Sorry for being so extreme. But, but to be that sort of predatorial is terrible. And then if you take that individual that also, not just for money, but uses it from a, a religious perspective— uses it to manipulate these people. This is what Jesus is condemning. Uh, when I read this, I think of a few years ago, I got a call from Bobby Workman. For those of you who remember Bobby Workman, um, uh, she called me one day and she said, oh, Pastor Gunner, I, I got a call from a guy and uh, he's asking for a donation and he said it would help your pastors by doing this. And I'm like, I don't know anything about that. Don't give money. She's like, well, I was going to give him money because I thought if it was to help you, I, I'm like, Bobby, I have no idea who that organization is. It has nothing to do with me. Don't don't, don't give that money. And there are people on TV praying on these uh, dear ladies and, and widowers um, for the sake of scamming them out of money and you know, I I said that harsh word, but I I, uh, I in the passage we'll see Jesus says um, right here in verse forty, these will receive greater um, condemnation, and so there there is this sort of greater weight on them. So these guys, these scribes, are taking advantage of widows; they're they're manipulating them, and they're taking advantage of them, and it doesn't make Jesus happy, and he he warns his followers not to be like the scribes who are doing this. He also looks at the scribes and he says, for appearance sake, uh, offer long prayers. Um, these, these men would have these long, lofty prayers and their reason wasn't to communicate with God, to actually pray for the individual. Uh, their prayers were for the purpose of, of the appearance and how it made them look. Prayer is a wonderful reality that we have uh, to to pray for one another. Um, In in large part in my life, when I'm asked to do prayers, whether it's uh, at a a wedding or for my buddies in the military that are retiring and they have me come down to, to function as the chaplain to pray for their ceremony, I just traditionally speaking, I never write out their prayers. I, I just simply pray from my heart because I want to communicate to God for them. And so I'm um, I I, go, I try to guard myself from this. Now I'm not I'm not saying that there are some individuals who write out their prayers. You know, I've been watching before I watch this service. As I'm getting ready for Grace Point Church to start, I will uh, on my TV go to Japan and I'll watch Pastor Ben, a missionary that we support. In Japan, I'll watch his service, and they do in Japanese and English, and everything has to be manuscripted. And I've been super blessed by some of the prayers that they have read that they have to read. They have to write out for the sake of the translation. And so I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, just condemning written prayers for the sake of condemning written prayers. What I'm saying is in my heart, when I've been asked to pray, I feel that I want to honor God by actually praying in these, these circumstances. These men did not use uh, this wonderful reality of communicating with the creator of the world for prayer um, for what it is. They were using it to build themselves up and, and to, to pray in a way that made them look good and powerful. Uh, far from the the humble uh, communication that Christ taught us how to pray with, and then He says, "These will receive greater condemnation." This not to be confused with condiments, which are all over my shirt right now, but condemnation. This this is um, this is a severe warning that those who communicate and teach the Word of God that we're held. To a higher standard, in James three one, James writes, "Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, uh, we will incur a stricter judgment." And so James, the brother of Jesus, says, "Those that teach the word of God, they're going to be held to a higher standard." Uh, the author of Hebrews, not that we know who it is, at the very end, one of one of the most frightening verses to me as, as, as a pastor of a local church, as one who teaches the Word of God, is Hebrews 3.17. And it's one of these verses that, that governs my heart and, and leads me and guides me. And here it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief." For this would be unprofitable for you. So, um, you know, you go to church and you participate and you and and you uh, contribute. Um, but the Bible doesn't say for those that are a part of a church or members of a church or that that you're you're going to give an account for your own soul. But it's not said that you're going to give an account for those around you, uh, to the pastor, to the shepherd of the flock. Where we're told, not only are we going to give an account for our lives and our souls that we're going to give an account for those that are under our care and, and supervision as shepherds. And so that is one uh, that keeps me awake at night. So one of the lessons, if you're a teacher of the Scriptures, don't take your responsibility before God lightly. You should, uh, you should be very humble and fearful before God that when you handle the Word of God that you're doing it in a way that's honoring him and his word. My other advice, uh, during this uh, pandemic and the shutdown and our being locked in, you know, many of us who go to church, this is our church home. But I've noticed that uh, amongst my friends, there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily churchgoers that are now going to church because it seems like the news feed on social media on Sundays is just bombarded with, with uh, sermons that people are sharing, which is wonderful. And I, I do think in eternity we will see fruit that comes out of this time that we don't see as we're going through it. Um, but if you're looking for a church and if you're going to a church, my prayer is that you would find a church where the pastor is one who clearly has a fear of God, and communicates the Word of God with that fear so that he faithfully communicates the things that, that God has communicated for us to know. Um, this is important to us, and the apostles are being warned by Jesus. Now, in verse 41, we're told that Jesus sits down uh, opposite of the treasury, and he began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, Um the first thing that comes to my mind is, as he should sit down, Jesus has been uh, teaching and battling all day long at, at the synagogue, at the, not the synagogue, at the temple, uh, during the Passover, where they believe that upwards of a million people sort of passed through Jerusalem during the Passover. It's crowded and He's got to be exhausted, and so he makes his way over, and he finds a place to sit down. I I can't help but to think of uh, my trips into Israel, and it seems like every now and again when we're at these locations, there's always little vendors, and I think of uh, sitting down and getting a little Dove Bar ice cream and kind of, you know, just kind of people-watching. I love people watching. I don't know about you, go how you all feel about it, but when I travel, when I go around here, just people watching is an amazing thing. Going shopping these days with people with their their mask on, it's taken people watching to a whole new level. Um, it, it's it's I think it transcends time and location. Everybody loves people watching, and so here I see Jesus sitting down. In my mind, he's eating an ice cream, kind of maybe drinking a coke, and he's observing the people putting money into the treasury. Now, in the treasury, they had 13 trumpets. The trumpets sort of... If you can imagine them sort of upside down where the part that you would blow in is at the top, and then it kind of cascades out, um, there were 13 of them. You could use them for designated offerings, At each one sort of as the money that went in there. It was designated for certain areas, and so there was no dollar bills. There was no PayPal. There was no Venmo. There was the way you gave money was coins, and so when you went up and you put your coins in, it would make a bunch of noise. And so he's watching the people. He's not even teaching. His disciples are with him. There's probably a large crowd kind of checking him out, and he's just sitting there. And we're told that many rich people were putting in large sums. And so you can hear the noise of the coins uh, going into the trumpet-shaped things. Um, I, I want to point out that this is not a condemnation on the rich. There's so much... Um, misinformation about money and wealth uh, for what Jesus says about it. Jesus is not uh, coming down on these individuals. He's not coming down on, on the, the, the capacity of the temple to, to receive funds for their operations. Uh, as I've been studying and thinking about this, I can't help but to think earlier in Jesus' ministry in the Galilee uh, back in Luke chapter 7, I'm going to focus on verse four and nine, but there's the there's the the Centurion that has, a, I believe it was a servant that was sick and as Jesus is making his way there, um, this group of Jewish people uh, greets Jesus on behalf of this Centurion who was there and they came to Jesus and they said when they when they came to Jesus, They earnestly implored him, saying, He, that's the centurion, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. Verse 5, For he loves our nation, and it was he who built our synagogue. Now, for those of you that have been to Israel and you've been to Capernaum and you saw the the synagogue that was there, there's the white part up top and the black basalt rock on the bottom. The black basalt rock is the original uh, stuff. And so that's the, that's the stuff we're talking about. We're, as they approach, they say, there's this guy. He's not a part of us. He's not, he's not Jewish. He's, he's uh, from Rome, but he loves our nation. And he loves our nation so much that he built the synagogue, that he paid for the synagogue to be built. I I don't. Well, I can't. I was going to say I don't know very many people. i say I don't know anybody where somebody could walk down to the church and say, "Hey, there's this guy. He's he loves us as Christians, but he's not one really." And and uh, he, he just he wrote a check and paid for everything, our whole building, everything. Um, what we see by the end of the story, my point. So number one, my point: this guy's a very wealthy guy that he funded the whole synagogue in Capernaum. By the end of it, in verse nine, as he interacts with Jesus, and Jesus is like, "Okay, let's go down and see your servant." He says, "No, no, no. I know you're a person of authority. I'm a person of authority. I can tell my servants to go and do this, and they go and do that. You're a guy of authority. If my guy can be healed, all you have to do is say, like, say it and let it be healed." And this is what Jesus says about this very rich man. He says, "I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith." So in all of Jesus's earthly ministry, the one individual that he identifies and applauds their great faith, it's this non-Jewish military man who approached him with great faith and used his resources to honor the kingdom of God. It's beautiful. And so the point is this story, don't, don't take this story... Um, as a story of uh, condemning the wealthy, we, we, we probably could take it as a, as, a, as a picture of condemning the scribes who are preying upon the, the widows. And I think that the widow that we're about to be introduced to, um, she's a victim in the story. But even in the victimhood, Jesus is watching and he's saying, no, she's not a victim. She's honoring her father in heaven. So let's look at this widow. Verse 42, uh, we read, A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to about a cent. And so this is, this is a poor widow. This, uh, this is, she is on the very bottom of the food chain in their culture. Uh, to be poor would be bad. To be a woman is bad in their culture. Don't, I'm not quoting for modern day. Like you're You don't have any authority. And then she's a widow. And so she doesn't seem to have family that cares for her. She is destitute. There's no social security. There, there's nothing. And so this lady is, is the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. And Jesus is watching all of the people coming and going and the wealthy making their donations. And there's this this poor little widow lady who approaches and she puts in like a couple bucks, like not, like nothing noticeable. It's not even – it's probably not even measurable – by by the temple's budget bottom line. This this lady's impact is it seems so meaningless and and so unhelpful in the grand scheme of things. And so then I see Jesus, and he's, you know, in my mind, he's got a, a a Coke and he's got his ice cream bar and he's like, Hey guys, guys, hey, come check this out. He calls them and calling his disciples, there's this there's this energy within the text that that sort of is like, hey guys, come around, check this out. You gotta see this. And so he said to them, Truly I say to you, or if you're reading out the, the the King James, Verily, verily, I say to you. This is really, really important stuff. Truly I say to you, this poor widow put more than all of the contributors to the treasury. She put in the New American Center says so two cents. I've heard it say it's about dollar fifty in modern times. The point is she gave very little. And now Jesus is saying, of the million people that have descended upon the temple for the Passover who are giving in large sums of money, he's saying she's given more than all of them. And I kind of see the guys scratching their heads saying, hmm, Jesus, you're going to have to explain this one. This this lady went up there, threw a couple pennies in there. How How in the world... Is this more than everybody else? And so now in verse forty-four, what does Jesus say? We read there that for they all put it they all put in out of their surplus. So the wealthy that were given, he's now he's not condemning them. He's just under he's he's highlighting uh, the the proportion of, of their giving. Um that they are giving out of their surplus, and so which is good, and we're, and and we see uh, wealthy people funding a lot of Jesus's ministry. We see wealthy people funding a lot of the ministry um, throughout the New Testament. Uh, people that honor God and have wealth, they they use it generously, and so he's he's not saying this in a in a negative way, but he wants to change their perception and how this widow might be perceived by them he says but she out of her poverty put in all that she owned all that she had to live on and it's a this mark just kind of end like we just sort of it's an abrupt ending and as we go into chapter 13 we're going to cover all of chapter 13 they're going to leave the temple we're going to uh, there's uh, James, John and Andrew are going to and Peter are going to ask a question about end times which is going to take all of chapter 13 and and so it's just sort of ends abruptly but remember so the argument's over he has his, his disciples there there's probably some onlookers he's condemned the scribes and now he, the guys that are going to lead the church he wants them to see about this lady and her sacrificial giving. I'm, I'm almost kind of glad that, as I've been thinking about this, you know, we don't at our church we don't we don't uh, we don't do big uh, campaigns for for money and finances and and giving and uh, we we take an offering, we say a couple words, but it's we virtually never bring anything up about sort of as a as a need for more money. Um, There's been occasions where um, a missionary has been in need, and if we let you know that we're going to cover it, but if you want to contribute extra, you can do that. Um, It's been very important to me to only speak of it as it it comes up in the text. And so being here, um, it's clearly I'm not here prepping you all for like an offering, Um, but Jesus is in in this, the the issue of money comes up, and it, it comes up, quite a bit uh, within Jesus' teaching. And so the first thing I point out is that Jesus sees all. He's sitting there watching. He notices what this lady gave. Um, one point that's been on my mind this week, I always, my father-in-law, we, we always kind of tease him. He, we always view him as being a little bit like gu- gullible. I don't know if he, gullible is the right word. So John, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. Um, but yeah, but a few years ago, he's downtown and this person found themselves stranded apparently. And they gave a really good story. They're down from Canada or whatever. And so my father in law, God bless him, he like whipped out forty bucks, gave him forty bucks. And then, you know, of course the following weekend, the following weekend they we had the same Canadian guy still trying to raise money with the same story. It's so like John and uh, and so that guy might be taking advantage of people, but what I learned from my father in law in this is that he gave to God to help this guy. And so even if you're manipulated by somebody, as this lady probably is by the religious leaders, we see that Jesus sees it and that her offering is still being received by the Lord in a way that he's, he sees the sacrifice that she is making. Uh, Jesus makes the point here that what he cares about is the, the proportion of of giving um, to, to the wealthy. He says, you know, they're giving out their excess, but I see that this lady is giving out of her, her poverty and it, it hurts that that when she's giving and she's giving sacrificially and he he's he's commending this. Um, I have a bunch of chicken scratch in my notes here because I didn't know how how much I wanted to say here on sacrifice and, and giving. Um, when it comes to tithing I'm a guy that I, I I believe in tithing but I believe I heard a man say once that uh, tithing is training wheels to Christian giving, which I do agree with. Um, when we look over in Second Corinthians, let's go over to Second Corinthians chapter nine. I think we have time. I don't have my watch in front of me, and who knows? It's Thursday afternoon, so I have no idea where we are on time. I think I've been going shorter than normal because you guys aren't all talking back to me while I'm preaching, but I do appreciate... Oh, there we go. <laughs> Nick is down there showing me the clock. He says we have plenty of time to go. Um, but I do want to say, like, I, I enjoy on Sundays being we'll see you guys texting in on the video for, for feedback and dialogue. And over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes this in verse 6, and it's, it's dealing with, with giving. He says, Now this... I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance in every good deed. And so, when we look at giving in the New Testament, um, I, I've heard a couple of things this week in my, my studying to prepare. Um, the one quote that I heard, I have no idea who said it originally, is God doesn't use giving to raise funds. He uses it to raise children, which I thought was just really good. Now, early in my Christian life, as I started adopting tithing, I recognized you know that as I tithed, it helped me to, to sort of um, put God into perspective and to give thanks for what I've received. It not only helped me in my giving what I gave away, but what I kept. It sort of taught me, as a child of God in my giving, to become a better steward of that which God has entrusted me with. Um, and so when I look at this woman— um, and seeing how she gave and how she sacrificed and to see that Jesus saw that, um, it, it's it's a beautiful thing. And so I, I think with that, this whole picture, um, I, I saw one guy who titled his message on this, uh, beware and be aware. And I'm like, oh, that's a really clever term of the these two things. So beware of these religious leaders that have a big big show um big big external front and they're far from God although they're trying to promote God um there's there's a huge warning for these men that that go around with pride and arrogance and um acting like that they are the voice piece for God um there is a a strong warning laid out for these kind of spiritual leaders Uh, my prayer for myself as I find myself as a spiritual leader is that I would walk the days of my life with great humility and dependency upon the scriptures and my savior to, to lead me and us as a congregation. Um, And my example by this lady is also to walk with humility, to, to give faithfully and sacrificially. And so I do think that as we've walked through these days with, um, with people who have actually lost jobs and they are in an economic crisis, to really seek out opportunities where you can uh, to, to sacrificially to share to help out actually tangibly people that you know and love uh, for the sake of Christ. Um, my my request is that you would pray that God would show you uh, for these opportunities, and I'm I'm grateful that. Um, He has done this in my life before even getting to this text. And so with that, we'll close up our passage for today. And um, I look forward to seeing you all next week. Um, Looking forward to the day when we can actually meet in person like we're used to and are supposed to worship together. Uh, With that, let's pray and uh, we'll end. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together. Uh, Lord, as we look at your warnings about uh, beware of the scribes, Father, I pray that you would help us to have your eyes in evaluating ourselves uh, individually for us as a congregation, uh, that you would keep us humble. Uh, We are sinners that have been saved, uh, not of anything that we have done. And so, Father, we ask that you would guard us uh, from thinking that we are more important or more special than any other person father help us um, to truly as jesus demonstrated in this passage with this poor widow that we would uh, see those around us um, as people that you have died for lord we ask that you would give us patience we pray that you would give us compassion father we pray that you would give us uh, generous hearts uh, to serve one another um just for your glory and for your benefit, for our good. Um, We are grateful, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.